Hey everyone, this is Sam Parr, one of the founders of Hampton. So we made this podcast MoneyWise as a way to sort of be like a personal finance podcast, but for a high net worth people, because there really aren't that many things out there like this. So we're going to ask our guests a lot of questions that frankly, people are too embarrassed to ask. And if done incorrectly, this topic can come off kind of douchey. However, it's very important to you, the Hampton community. And uh, I think it's going to be awesome. However, we're not launching this publicly yet. I wanted to first send it to you, some of my friends and some of the people in the Hampton community. And all I ask is if you like it, there's a link in the YouTube description where this video is, or you can just comment. This podcast is really expensive to make. And so we're not going to make it if you guys don't actually want it. So I kind of like need you to beg for it. And if it sucks and you don't want it, tell me it stinks. And then this way we aren't going to actually follow through and create more episodes because it's really expensive. And I want this to be life-changing and game-changing for you and hopefully for our company. So anyway, let me know what you think. If it's boring, just turn it off. But before you turn it off, let me know in the comments or in the type form. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. How much money was wired to you? I think it was somewhere around 40-ish million dollars. Is there such thing as having enough money? Enough to make you happy, to feel secure? Is two million enough? How about 200 million? Or is the internal scream of, I need more money, impossible to shut up regardless of what you have? Security, time, providing for your loved ones, money can buy all of those things and that will make you happier. So I'm not interested in debating if money can make life better. I just wanna know when is enough enough? What is that threshold for when more money stops contributing to general overall happiness? We're gonna call this our threshold number. To me, the whole point of this whole game is like, if you're stressing about money in any way, shape or form, the pursuit of more, not having enough or whatever, like that's kind of missing the point. The fact that I don't have to think about it is what's most valuable. Ankur Nagpal is a friend of mine who in his early 30s is worth north of $100 million. He grew up in a middle-class family, made a few million dollars by the time he was 23, and then sold his second company, Teachable, for over $250 million when he was just 31. So he's been through all the stages of wealth, making him a great person to answer our question. In this episode, he gets candid with us, sharing his exact net worth, his portfolio, how much money he spends each month, where he spends that money, how money has contributed to his happiness, and what he thinks his threshold number is. Hey everyone, I'm Sam Parr. Welcome to MoneyWise, the podcast where we dive into the personal finance and lifestyle changes for those with a high net worth or those of you on your way. The podcast world is practically tripping over itself with shows teaching you how to make a buck. And that's great. I love and listen to a ton of them, but none on really how to handle the life changes that new wealth brings. The reason I know this is I'm co-founder of Hampton, a community of CEOs, founders, entrepreneurs, people who run businesses ranging from $2 million a year all the way up to $200 million a year. And in this community, I'm able to see what type of conversations young, high net worth people are having in private. That community and those conversations is what inspired this podcast. In MoneyWise, we explore these problems and help you enrich your life beyond the numbers. We speak to people who have been through the same things, meaning they've made a lot of money, and in some cases, they're going to lose a lot of money. And the best part, we're radically transparent about the numbers while we do it. We're going to talk about how much money they've made, how much they've spent, everything, things that you're typically really embarrassed to ask. In MoneyWise, we explore these problems and help enrich your life because there's nothing else out there that helps this community of people. We speak to people who have been through the same things and we're radically transparent about the numbers while we do it. Now, to be fair, I think there is a range for our threshold number. There was this 2010 study that people were citing for years saying that money stops impacting your happiness around $75,000 a year, which is around 106 grand in 2023 dollars. 
And guess what? I think it's nonsense. $100,000 is not the threshold number for most everyone in America. Since then, numerous studies have contradicted this and concluded that there was no plateau in happiness when it comes to income. But my point is that money's impact on happiness depends on each individual's general outlook and feelings on life. But if you have your act together, more money will equal more happiness, which means there is a threshold number where one begins feeling like they have enough. Anker's answer to our question of how much is enough needs to be understood through the perspective of his upbringing. Grew up in, I would say, a middle-class family. Money was never tight, but we were also never rich. And it was always very clear for my parents that they were saving their entire life for me to study in America. And again, I grew up in Oman, the Middle East, like people earned a lot less there. It would take a lot of my parents, like years of like hard work to send me to college here. So it always had this like sense of almost guilt that my parents were working really, really hard to provide a better life for me. So as a result, when I first moved to America, like my first semester in college, I was like super frugal. I didn't want to spend money on anything because it felt like just being here was such an expensive thing. And I had almost this anxiety attached to money. But in college, when I started making $20, $30 a day, which I did at 18 years old building Facebook apps, it was the best feeling in the world because it was liberating because for the first time in my entire life, I had my own money. And with that, that meant less guilt. And eventually when I scaled my college business to like, I don't know, $20,000, $30,000 in revenue, just being able to pay for my own college gave me all the freedom because then I didn't have to go to class. Like I was very stressed and I would actually... I only went to class because I felt guilty about how much my parents were paying for it, but having my own money completely changed that. And how much money did you make around the age 21, 22, 23 when you were running that? My goal was to make a million dollars before 21, which crazily enough, I just about managed to hit a few days before my 21st birthday. And the overall business had probably netted about 2 million bucks before it kind of died and stopped making any money. So by 21, 22, I'd made a couple million bucks. Were you spending any of it? I was pretty boring about a lot of it. So I ended up buying a really nice apartment in San Francisco. I bought a place in the Millennium Tower. But other than that, I was not really doing frivolous, dumb things with it. I never had fun with it. In a lot of ways, I think it's just my upbringing, like the way I was raised. So I think I was quite responsible with it. Was that a meaningful threshold to cross a million or two million at the age of early 20s? The biggest thing it gave me was, frankly, like the freedom to just say no to a lot of shit. Like a great example is like getting a job, right? Like I wasn't doing anything for two years, but trying to build failing businesses. And had I not had that money, that's not a luxury I would have been able to have. There was a good two year period where no idea I was working on actually was going anywhere. And my mom tried to convince me to get a job, but my dad was like, I worked for a salary my entire life. I always wanted to be a founder. I wanted to start a company. I couldn't. So I want you as my children to go crazy. Like take the risk that I never could and go start a company if you want to, don't get a job. All right, here's the bad news. Unfortunately, I don't think $2 million will be most people, at least in America, I don't think it's going to be most people's threshold number. Especially in today's economy, $2 million is nice, but it's not really the point where you're going to feel secure for the rest of your life, at least definitely not if you're young. For Anker, it gave him the confidence and security to move on to something bigger and better. And that bigger and better was his second company called Teachable. I had most of the money that I made. A lot of it was not even invested. Like I knew nothing about money. So I kept a lot of it chilling in a bank account, which is insanely stupid when you think about, you know, the insane bull market we had at the time. I, I didn't know shit about it, but I had the money, whatever. I had 
close to a couple million dollars, slowly dwindling every month because I had no income for about two years when I started Teachable. And when I started Teachable, I didn't pay myself for the first six months and the money kind of just stayed there. But while building that company, I just didn't think about money. I mean, I you know paid myself what I needed to live mostly and I didn't really th- spend much time or effort thinking about it until I sold the company. And what was the motivation for starting Teachable? What was the insight? To be honest, I was looking to build a business. I'd been trying lots of different ideas, was doing a little bit of teaching, both in person and online. Teaching was a way to make a little bit of money on the side. And we soon realized like selling courses on Udemy or on other platforms, you were not able to build a business since you were only keeping a small percentage of it. So I ended up building the first version of Teachable as a side project for myself, for my buddy Conrad. A few months in, saw that this is kind of cool. Other people like it too. And then raised money and built a company out of it. But it was no intentional, like grand vision. It was more trying little different businesses and seeing what's working. And you probably, if I had to guess, were just making a normal salary, like $150,000 a year. I'll tell you how much I was making. I was making exactly $150,000 a year because I kept increasing my salary from 70K up to 150K. Beyond 150K, it seemed dumb. Like the taxes got super high and it didn't really make sense when to pay yourself much more. So I was making exactly 150K until I sold the company. Was your liquid nut still dwindling at this point or going up? It was close enough that the overall numbers weren't moving. I wasn't making money. I wasn't going down. It was fine. I was able to live the life I wanted in New York. It was nothing crazy. I remember when we sold the company, I was in a 400 square foot apartment, but I mean, that's also New York City. I always knew, look, when the time came, the company was doing well and I would make money from it. And honestly, it worked out. How many years did you run it before you sold it? Almost seven years. Do you remember the revenue numbers for each year before you sold it or the revenue growth trajectory? We negotiated the deal when we were at a $20 million run rate. And by the time the deal closed, we were at a $25 million run rate. So about 10 times our revenue. At the time, we were doubling year over year. But in the early years, it was kind of, you know, roughly 5x, 4x, 3x, 2x. And that's when we sold. All right, so when Akar sold Teachable, that couple million dollars that he was living off of suddenly became pocket change. He ended up selling Teachable for around $250 million. And get this, he was only 32 years old. How much money was wired to you? I think it was somewhere around 40-ish million dollars. $40 million directly into his bank. And you know what? That was only about half of it. The other half was paid in stock, which means this is an insane amount of money to get overnight. First thing I did was as soon as we could, I was like, look, I want to buy a place for myself. So I started looking at houses and I bought a house in Brooklyn. That was sort of my big expensive purchase or whatever. I had to buy a car. I still bought a secondhand car. I could have easily like bought the new car, but it just felt dumb. Like I got a car that was like nine months old and like $15,000 cheaper. And I was like, it feels dumb to buy a new car. Of all the things I did that was, that probably made me feel the best is I was able to, you know, give some money to my family. I was able to get my parents a place. And to be honest, like that's probably the shit that felt the best in terms of like what makes you feel good about yourself. Yeah, that was probably the the most rewarding part of it. It was also really cool because one of the realizations I had is I know a lot of other people who feel this way, but I have a lot of immigrant guilt because, you know, my parents worked hard to send me here. They're getting older. They're back home while I'm living a life over here. So one of the things I realized I wanted to prioritize was spending much more time with them. So I bought a house that was big enough that when they come to visit me in New York, there's enough space, which practically means when they come, they'll visit me for, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, like quite a long time since they retired. But that's the kind of shit in which money has made a material difference to my life. 
it's like freedom being able to like be like, yeah, I'm going to go see my parents four or five times a year because I'm not going to be held back or things like that, I think are the biggest thing money has given me, which is the ability to kind of do what I want. All right, talking to one person, that was not enough for this podcast. So I also had to bring in a friend of mine who owns a law firm. His name's Michael and he pays himself around $10 million a year and has over $20 million in liquid assets. And by the way, when I say $10 million, I don't mean that's what his company's revenue is. That's literally what he pays himself. He had similar sentiments to Anker about how providing for family brings him happiness. Being generous with my family is something that has brought me joy with money. So that, in that sense, money brought me a lot of happiness. It makes me happy to set my kids up. I have a brother and sister who are 23-year-old twins. And so I'm going to help them buy a house. My brother's going to law school. I'm going to pay for him to go to law school. So in terms of money bringing you happiness, it can. Like, you know, buying your family health, buying your family freedom. Those are things that really do give you happiness with money. You're not buying things, but you're doing nice things for other people. Again, the idea we're exploring in this episode isn't exactly how much money will make you happy, but at what point happiness stops growing. Yes, knowing your family is set and having the ability to provide for them definitely will make you a bit happier. But can you be more happy than that? And how can money contribute to that? Well, for one, it can increase the power you have of your own life. Ankur already talked about this. He talked about how when he was in his early 20s, he had a few million dollars and that allowed him to start his second company. But what a lot of people don't know is Ankur actually did this another time. After selling Teachable, he walked away from a much larger sum. So one of the big things that meaningfully changed the quality of my life and money helped is tied to my employment at the company I sold to, I had over $10 million worth of equity that would vest tied to my employment, but I didn't want to do that. So being able to like walk away from that was something where it's like a clear impact of like, if I had $0, there's no way I would walk away from a $10 million employment contract. But now where I'm like, I already have enough where it's like my freedom and time that's important, I was able to walk away and give back a bunch of unvested equity being like, you know what? I'm good. My freedom is worth more. So that's a great example of like how it actually did make a big difference. And you spent like two years living a bachelor, young, wealthy guy life. For two years, I was just traveling the world and kind of living a pretty, yes, half nomadic life because I had my place over here, but I was everywhere. Like, you know, surf camp in Brazil to like driving through former Yugoslavia for a couple of months, just all over, you know, having a good time. What was your burn while you were doing that? 20 grand a month? Yeah, it wasn't even that much. I would guess like maybe in the single most expensive month, 20 grand. If I were to guess, probably 15 grand. Like all my flights were always first class. That's one thing. I Like any long flight, I will like get a lie flat bed. So my core burn, granted my house is paid off in cash. So I have no monthly house payment. My burn was like, yeah, I would say 10 to 15 grand a month. You know, what's funny though, is that you went crazy, not crazy, but you lived uh, almost a fantasy life for many people for two years and you went back to work though. Yeah. I think we're just wired this way where I, I just had this sense. I'm like chilling on the beach and I'm like, dude, I'm 32 years old, 33 years old. I'm too young to be doing this shit. I miss the sensation of like building stuff. I don't think I want to grind and work super hard in my like 40s and 50s. Maybe I will, maybe I'll change, but my 30s, it definitely felt like that's what I want to be doing. I want to be grinding. I want to be building. It's not even about the money. It's just like, it feels like that's my sport in a way. And I want to play my sport and be the best I can at the sport I play versus kind of just chilling. 
look, if we were going to go out there and survey a bunch of people and we asked them, what would you do if you made a bunch of money? Of course, everyone's going to say, I'd quit my job and go travel. I think you'd say that too. I mean, everyone's going to say that. But if you're listening to this podcast, I think you lean more on the ambitious side. And quitting your job and traveling, that's going to bring the happiness for a little while. But in my opinion, that's not going to make you overall happy. And that's exactly what happened to Anker. Just sitting around in stagnant luxury, that did not move his needle. My buddy Michael has similar thoughts. My attitude towards money has always been the same. I've always really focused on what makes me happy, not what people expect to make you happy, which is buying stuff or spending money. And that's not to say that he doesn't make some purely fun purchases. So I ended up buying a Porsche, but I didn't buy it because the superficial brand of Porsche. I bought it because I rented a Porsche for the day and my wife and I had a blast and it was the experience that we enjoyed. I've always focused on those experiences. That's kind of like what's always been important. By the way, did the Porsche live up to the hype? 100%. You enjoy it? Oh yeah. The takeaway here, I think, from Anker's story is what he learned in the process of trying to have a relaxing life. He recognized that he needs to fill his time with something that he's passionate about. In this case, it's contributing, it's making businesses, it's building big things. That's a passion where money is very, very useful. So Anker stopped traveling and returned to New York and founded a company called Ocho, which is now called Carry, and it's a fintech startup. Are you paying yourself at Ocho? Nope. And how much has that raised? We raised $5 million. $2.5 million is from my own fund. $2.5 million from 200 other investors. But again, as a second-time founder, I'm like, I kind of like to control my entire cap table, which we do right now, versus, you know, having other random third parties decide what you can or can't do. And again, that's a benefit you have with money. What's your expenses now per month, you think? Now that you're living in New York City, you have a nice home, you just basically have property taxes and entertainment, I would imagine. You don't have too much. What's that look like? Dude, guess how much my property taxes are. For what it's worth, my, to give you context, home is worth you know a few million dollars, but property taxes in New York are weird. Guess how much I pay in property taxes. Well, I would guess like 60000 a year. Four grand a year. This is an old townhouse, $4,000 a year. So property taxes are virtually zero. My cost of living, like as in like owning this house, are very, very low. My monthly expenses, again, like they're between, you know, based on the month, close to 15 grand on a higher month, 10 grand on a lower month in that sort of range. And I'm doing all I want, really. Are you budgeting? No, I don't care. But that's the benefit is I don't have to think about it. I don't care about it. I like log on once in a while and kind of see how I'm doing. And that's sort of where I'm at. To me, the whole point of this whole game is like, if you're stressing about money in any way, shape or form, the pursuit of more, not having enough or whatever, like that's kind of missing the point. The fact that I don't have to think about it is what's most valuable. Can you reveal what your net worth is now and what that portfolio breakdown is? It's hard to know sort of the value of public, private, whatever, but I would say if I include all my assets, including like equity in the company where I've not realized it and stuff, it would be north of nine figures. In terms of how that sort of breaks down, off my liquid assets, I take about half of it and it just indexes the market, just like roughly tracks the S&P, a little bit of small cap, so forth, index funds, low fees. And that's what I think everyone should be doing with the majority of their money. The other half, and you may say half is a big percentage, I think it's also based on the raw amounts, is in assets that I feel like I have a competitive advantage. So for me, a lot of it turns out to be my own venture funds. I've started two venture funds and totally between the two of them raised you know, close to 80 million bucks. 
as well as investing in a bunch of startups, friends funds, friends projects, all of that. So that's roughly how it breaks down. I have a little bit of crypto just in the off chance the Bitcoin assholes are, are right about how the world's going to go. Are you ever afraid of missing out on certain things because you're in the position that you're in versus, quote, being normal? I do worry a little about being trapped in a bubble, right? Because a lot of what we live in is a bubble. And one of the ways I try to sort of force reset a little is super grateful for America. I could not have done what I've done pretty much anywhere else. Like super grateful to this country, but I still try a bunch to like get out of this country, travel the world, spend time in other places just to sort of force reset a little bit and just realize how big the world is. In terms of missing out on things, not really. Like in general, I just feel so fortunate about People have asked me, right? They're like, oh, do you regret selling the company when you did? Your revenue doubled right after. You could have made more money this way or more money that way. I just feel like we're kind of so lucky to be in this position that, of course, we worked hard. Of course, we did a lot of things right. But life kind of worked out. And it would be sort of a dick move to be upset about like one small facet of it when like 99% has worked out so well my own monologue to myself is like, dude, you've been so fucking lucky and fortunate and like life has been so good and you've been just blessed in so many different ways. It'd be real shitty of you to complain about stuff. All right, so let's get some firm answers. What amount of money stops contributing to general overall happiness? Because there will always be more to acquire. The number we've been looking for, we've been calling it the threshold number. And that's the number that you don't have to keep chasing it down. You can live happily and not worry anymore. Obviously, we've been exploring it mostly through Anker's story. Because of that, we need to consider a few more things before we hear his response. Anker's in his 30s. He understands his passions, his motivators. He's got a strong foundation for his well-being. And he lives in New York, which is incredibly expensive, except for property tax, which honestly shocked me. But anyway, here it is. If I were to guess, the number is probably 10 million bucks, maybe a little bit more. I know some people who, especially when they become parents living in New York City, they're making half a million plus a year. They still don't feel like safe or that like they have enough to live a comfortable life. So in New York, I do think the threshold is high. I would say maybe $10 million is sort of the like, I'm good, potentially even a little bit more. But for me, it was definitely like after the exit, way past that, before the exit, definitely not there. But you only spend like 15000 a month and you own your, your own home. Yep. You're good. You're good for many lifetimes, unless you start ratcheting up those expenses. I'm good, man. Again, as I said, the only thing that will sort of change is the number I go to the grave with, frankly. And I'm still out here building a company. I want my company to be, you know, a billion or $10 billion company because that is sort of the scoreboard and the game we play. But it's not about the money making a meaningful difference to my life anymore. I think that threshold has been passed. All right, now let's hear from my friend Michael. Remember, he's a lawyer friend of mine who's bringing in north of $10 million a year. And after the pod, he actually told me that next year it's gonna be closer to 15. I think 500K a year, I was able to buy everything I wanted and I didn't feel like there was nothing I couldn't do that I couldn't afford. Like Which isn't a lot of money in California. Oh, not at all. 500K, yeah. that's 250,000 a year or maybe 300,000, something like yeah. that. So like I settled a case for a million, as I say yesterday, right? Zero dopamine hit, literally zero. But I'll settle like a 15K case where the adjuster's just like an asshole and like we'll litigate the case and grind him to death and they'll pay. And it's just like the sense of winning that gives me that dopamine hit. But right now, in terms of monetary recovery, there's no amount of money I could think of that would give me a dopamine hit, like a feeling excited, like I got more money. 
So Anker says it's a liquid net worth of around $10 million. And Michael, he says he's good at around $500,000 a year. But I'm not going to cop out here and say, oh, it's complicated or it's different for everyone else. Because frankly, I'm not satisfied with that. And I don't think you are either. Here's my answer. It's $25 million. The way I came to that number was I asked a bunch of wealthy people how much money they spent per month. And on average, it's around $80,000 a month. Then I looked up what's a safe amount of money to withdraw from your liquid nut, which is around 3%. And so you need around $25 million to be able to withdraw roughly a million dollars per year safely. And that's how I came to my number. And guess what? I still think it's true. I believe that money is a tool that can bring happiness to us. But that doesn't mean just because we have money, we're going to be happy. We still have to have our act together. There's a reason why there's a lot of rich, unhappy people. You still need to go to therapy. I go to therapy. A lot of my rich friends go to therapy. You have to have some general idea as to what you value in life, what motivates you, and how you can use money to get more of that. And Anker even told us that, that he knew that getting into this and getting wealthy, that he knew that's what's going to happen. But learning it firsthand was still eye-opening. So I've read enough that I was not surprised. But the whole idea, right, of the, the hedonic treadmill... Money does not make a material difference to like your general state of happiness or well-being. So I was well prepared in that I'd kind of heard that. But yeah, like your day-to-day reality, one year after selling your company, you may have less of other stresses, but the baseline is you are who you are and you're going to experience, you know, what you do. Like for instance, for me, not doing my job, sleeping better, being in better physical shape, meaningfully move my baseline. Having more money in your bank account does not meaningfully move your baseline sense of well-being. All right, we're not quite done yet. Even though both Michael and Anker have surpassed their thresholds, I still think more money can bring bits of joy and excitement. Listen to what Anker is looking forward to when growing his net worth. So this sounds real dumb, but I think I, I truly believe money makes you more of who you are. And it sometimes takes you back to the shit you found cool when you were young. And I, I grew up like cricket was sport. Like I played internationally. Like it was my one true love. I absolutely would like buy a sports team. I think that is like the coolest, most fun thing you could do with money because it is the intersection of a lot of things I'm interested in. So I would say that would be like my one silly thing that wealthy, especially dudes do that to me seems like it'd be so much fun. How much would that cost? Dude, it depends. The teams in India are so expensive. It's like one of the most watched leagues in the world. It's like at least a billion dollars. It's crazy. But there's a US cricket league that's getting started. Maybe get involved there. But my goal is, of course, I want to run the business there. But I want to be like part of the draft. I want to be like involved with choosing the lineup. Like I want to be involved. So yeah. That's- like Mark Cuban of cricket. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That seems like it'd be dope. All right, that's pretty much it. Now, I'm sure a lot of you have been thinking, what is my threshold number? And guess what? I'm curious. So I want you to tell me. You can find me on Twitter. My name is The Sam Parr, all one word. You can find me on Twitter and tweet at me and tell me what is your number. We basically distilled overall life happiness down to a few metrics for the sake of shaking out a firm answer. And of course, it's not that simple. So I just want to go ahead and say that right there. In this episode, we answered the question of the threshold number, which is at what point will more money not increase happiness? But along with general well-being strategies that apply to everyone, we didn't really discuss how Anker manages all the new potential problems that come with having a lot of money, particularly when you're really young. Problems with dating, friendships, new anxieties, pressures, and the list goes on. Managing all of these things are crucial, and without doing so, more money will not be able to have a meaningful contribution to your overall happiness. And the reason we didn't get into that in this episode is basically it'd become a really, really long audiobook instead of a podcast. 
The Hampton community, which I mentioned at the top of the show, is constantly talking about all these challenges. We want to get to all those topics and explore them in depth on MoneyWise in the same way that we did on this episode. But I'm going to be honest with you, the show is a ton of work and guess what? It costs a lot of money. So if you want to hear more of these episodes, episodes where we dive deep into the personal finances of high net worth people, where we dive deep into the problems that they have, into the different research of what it says about their problems, tweet at me. I'm at The Sampar and you have to let me know. Otherwise, we're not going to make any more of these podcasts. We've got a lot of ideas on how we can make this great, but I'm only going to do this if you actually love it. And if you want to hang out with a bunch of people like this, people who have a high net worth, who are running companies, and you're the CEO, founder, owner of a different company, you got to check out Hampton. It's my company. I'm in there. A bunch of people who we talk about in this podcast are there. You can check it out, joinhampton.com. And by the way, I've got to give a quick shout out to Lower Street. It's the podcast agency that helped me turn this into reality. This podcast started as an idea that actually really intimidated me. I thought it was going to be a ton of work. And it was, but... <laughs> I used Lower Street and they did all of the work and it made my life so much easier. And they're actually a member of Hampton and that's how I met them. So I'm giving a plug for Hampton and Lower Street. You can check them out, lowerstreet.co. This has been Money Wise. Money Wise.